This is Someone Like Me, the official podcast for End Slavery Tennessee. This show seeks to empower survivors of domestic human trafficking by telling their stories. We also want to educate listeners on what's really happening in their own backyards. I'm Leslie, your host, and in this episode, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Sarah as she tells her story. This podcast shares the experiences of human trafficking survivors, which may include elements like sexual assault and intimate partner violence. So if you are a trauma survivor, be aware that this episode may trigger your trauma. It's our hope that for many, these stories will be empowering. Today's survivor interview is with Sarah, who is a graduate of the End Slavery Tennessee program. Instead of doing an interview first, she wrote out her story and shared it with us in that way. After she shares, we have a brief conversation about themes and more things that Sarah's experienced. With us in this conversation, as always, is End Slavery Tennessee founder, Derry Smith. Thanks, Leslie. Yes, Sarah chose to write out the first part of her story and read it. This may come across as disconnected or that she is without emotional response to her story, and this couldn't be further from the truth. I've often heard a trafficking survivor giving her account of events in a seemingly dispassionate way, in court or in our care center. Sometimes observers take this to mean that the events didn't have much negative impact. Actually, the opposite is true. This is a coping mechanism to deal with painful or overwhelming emotions. And now we'll let Sarah tell her story. You want to get started? Yes, ma'am. Let's do this thing. Well, we are in the In Slavery Tennessee offices, a fabulous organization. How long have you been a part of the In Slavery community? Since 2017. Very good. So you have come today with um, some prepared things that you wanted to share, and you just want to tell your story, and we're so excited to hear it. So I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Well, thank you. Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I am a survivor of human trafficking. I came from a broken home. They separated ways when I was only one. The time and age then, a father getting custody of their child against the mother was slim to none. I think my mom lost it when things didn't work out between her and my dad. And that's when the drugs and alcohol started. My mom's drug addiction got so bad that she couldn't afford her own habit. Her only means of income was disability or using and ripping off men. She would milk them to the last dime. When she couldn't get her fixed, the only valuable thing that she had left was me. So from age 3 to 13, I was my mom's way to feed her drug addiction. While other children were watching cartoons, I was watching porn. That was the only thing that I was allowed to watch on TV. By age five, I was a professional. I didn't understand and comprehend what was going on. I just assumed that I've done something wrong, and that was my punishment. I learned how to fight at a very young age. My mom's taste in men was terrible. In the situations that she put us in, most of the time, it got out of control really quick. My mom was drunk and high before Little House on the Prairie even came on. She was like a little baby that needed to be taken care of and nurtured. I was my mother's mom. After some time, she would rip off people, and I would have to watch her get beaten. I got the wrath of most of that. Time by time, my dad tried to step in. It was already too late. The damage had already been done. I was a lost soul, and he didn't have the comprehension or understanding to help me, but he knew something bad was going on. 
My dad fought for four years, and finally, after selling all of his property and everything he owned, he got custody of me at age five. Due to the lack of understanding or what was happening, I was a ball being passed back and forth. So the abuse continued. At one point in time, I remember being in a room. There were several of us, no clothes on, and a couple had diapers. We were all crying. I remember my mom opening up the door and seeing all the men in the living room. I knew then I wasn't alone, but I still didn't get it. I was officially numb at this point. At age 13, my mom was pregnant with my sister. She was in love and had plans on marrying this man. But as usual, she would leave me alone and would go out and get high, and I was sexually abused yet again. I finally had enough. I told my aunt. She sat down with me to tell my mom, and my mom lost it, blaming me, stating that I never wanted her to be happy. I just wanted her all to myself and that I enjoyed it. Somehow DCS and the police got involved on this one and she told me that if I told them it was a big misunderstanding that she would not abort my sister. When I told the chief of police that, he knew I was coached. He left the office and came back a few minutes later, slamming a huge file on his desk. This man was wanted in five states for rape and sexual assaults with minors. My mom chose yet another man over her child, regardless of the proof that was right in front of her. I lost it. I wanted to die. Due to the physical abuse and the fact my dad didn't understand me, my dad put me in state's custody, so from 13 to 18, that's where I was raised. I ran away several times and hated life. I didn't have no place to go. Getting raped and sexually assaulted to just have a pillow to sleep on at night got old after a while. When I turned 18, due to me not having any charges, they told me that they couldn't keep me no longer and that I was officially an adult. I had to sign myself out of state's custody because nobody else would do it. I had no place to go, no family, no friends. I was living on the streets. I tried staying with mom a couple of times. She was in such bad state of mind, I'd rather been on the streets. I remember someone saying, hey, you're pretty. They picked me up, gave me a pretty outfit, and took me to my very first strip club. Come to find out, I had a knack for it. Even then, I, at that time, I still didn't know why. The adult entertainment business goes hand-in-hand hand with drugs and alcohol. The fact that I was so young in the industry, I was a target. They fed me everything, and it became a downhill spiral. I got pregnant, and it changed my life. I wanted my daughter to have everything I've never had. I thought I was a good parent, but due to the physical and mental emotional abuse from my dad, I was scared to be loving and affectionate because as a child, I was abused for being that way towards my dad. So I was scared to love. When things didn't work out with me and her dad, I lost it. All I ever wanted to do as a little girl was have a family. I went back to drugs and alcohol and adult entertainment. I met my soon-to-be ex-husband throughout the 16 years of being with him. I had no idea that my relationship was just as toxic as the last one. I just assumed that since he wasn't physically abusing me, that that was okay. He was in, in and out of prison most of our relationship. To make ends meet, I continued to use my body to take care of my daughter. I didn't think there was anything wrong by doing this. After all, my husband was the one who was babysitting my daughter while I was doing it. In 2012, he was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. I was three months pregnant with my second child. I've never been freed from the narcissistic abuse that was going on until then. 
That's when I finally started to grow up. After all, that was the first time I've ever been alone in my whole life. I wanted to do it right. This time I went to college for clinical psychology so I can help people like me, but I later found out his parents were just as narcissistic as he was, and they became my master and I became their puppeteer. The abuse came with contracts, and if I didn't abide by those, they took my daughters. For over four years, I would always get back up and dust my knees off, but by 2017, I had had enough. I remember waking up one day. My body just couldn't do it anymore. I went back to drugs and alcohol. Only this time, it was really bad. I had lost everything, and I was right back on the streets yet again. I wanted my kids back so bad. So the last contract with his parents to get my kids back, my clock wouldn't start till I abided by what was on it. So even with me begging and pleading to get help and go to rehab, they said it was not an option. So I got myself clean, got a job, fostering a four-year-old boy with autism, did everything the contract said, and I got my youngest daughter back. The day I got her back was the day I found out that my foster son's dad relapsed. The money he was supposed to pay me, I knew that day that I was going to be faced with an eviction notice. I was desperate and vulnerable. I needed help. I met this man who pretended to be a preacher. He said he had halfway houses and that he helps people like me for a living. Little did I know that I would find myself back in a similar situation. He was a human trafficker. I lost my daughter again. By this time, I didn't care anymore. I wanted to die. So I went on a death mission. I went to a house in hopes that I would OD and die, only I was drugged and sexually abused and trafficked. Unable to leave one day, they forgot to lock my door. I just ran. By the grace of God, there was a police station nearby. That's when I had learned that I had been in there for 14 days. I cried. They took me to the hospital, and I got them to transport me to Buffalo Valley Detox Center. I knew that if I didn't get help, I was going to die. Throughout the years, I have OD'd eight times. While in treatment, I knew God had something else in store for me. Why else would I still be alive? At Buffalo Valley, I learned that my past childhood trauma had a name, human trafficking. Due to me opening that door, I chose not to go to the Oxford House, but to end slavery. There, I was able to learn how to start my life over again and how to heal. I learned that I was not alone, that there was others just like me out there. All I ever wanted was a family. In slavery became that family. Their survivors became my sisters. That filled a deep hole that I'd had for many years. I completed several programs after in slavery. I got an apartment at a sober living community. I got the mental help that I so needed and started going to therapy. I got on disability and was able to regain custody of both of my kids. I have been clean since October 29, 2017. Being in recovery, it's rewarding because there's so much growth going on. I learned so much about myself. I had no clue that I was numb for all of these years and why. I learned that all my relationships were abusive and toxic and unhealthy, so I filed for divorce while my husband was in prison. He got out December of last year. He refused to sign the papers, and the narcissistic abuse continued. It almost got the best of me, but I had had a spiritual awakening and found God. To have God on your side is a beautiful thing. I can honestly say my life is now complete. I have over two years sober, and I'm using my testimony to help others. I have broke the chain in the cycle that has continued throughout my family for generations and generations. I clean houses part-time and have a part-time job. I dedicate most of my time to help my daughter academically. She has the life that a child should always have. I am in the process of working on being a certified peer specialist so I can help those who cannot help themselves. 
Thank you for letting me share. We sat in the room with Sarah for a while longer to talk. She had just recently learned some troubling information about her sister, who had been adopted by their aunt and uncle. This experience brought some new perspective to Sarah, and we were grateful she was interested to tell us about it. You have told us that on Christmas Day of last year, you got an interesting phone call or you learned some interesting news. Can you tell us about your sister? Yes. So my sister, she called me and said, hey, I have a secret. And I'm like, what's that? She said, I'm not coming back home. And I was like, well, you know, good for you, you know. Um, And she's like, no, I can't come back home. And uh, the reason why is my uncle molested me all of those years. And I was I was devastated because I thought with her being adopted and not being around my mom that she would never go through any of the experiences or childhood trauma I did. For years, I was so grateful to them for taking her in, um, and I thought everything was fine, and it it wasn't. And this is this is the sister that your mom. You were thirteen when your mom was pregnant with her, so so she was adopted to your aunt and uncle. Yes, her father is a registered sex offender. Hmm. And I I heard you say in there that you were initially relieved when she went to be with them because then she wouldn't be with your mom. And she wouldn't experience none of that abuse. And then you've just found out that she actually went through abuse herself. Yes. So what does that feel like to be looking at her situation now, having gone through the transformation that you've gone through um, in your own journey? It's like deja vu for me because listening to her cry and what's on her mind and how she feels about things, I once felt that very same way. And so um, uh, my aunt's telling her the same things my mom told me. You enjoy it. You like it. You're getting off on it. And that's just not the things that you say to your kid. You know, you shouldn't choose, you know, your husband over your own child if your child is coming to you and they're in pain and they're telling you these things, you know, you should be, you know, take your child's side. Mm -hmm. That's actually something, after we've talked to a few survivors, what I haven't heard before is what you've just said is someone saying to you, your parent, oh, you like it. This is something that your mom would say to you and then that your aunt said to your sister. Basically, uh, my sister and me have, have similarities that both of our parents stated that we pretty much asked for it, that it's our fault. You know, it's something that you did. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, my aunt told her, what'd she say? Well, you didn't mind him playing with your hair. You didn't stop that. Um, So, I mean, just pretty much putting the blame on, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that you were flirting, you were flaunting it, and Mm -hmm. you got what you deserved, and you probably enjoyed it, and that's just so wrong. Mm -hmm. None of us asked for this. Absolutely. What can we be looking for in our children and others people, other people's children, signs of this that's happening? What do you think are ways that we can be aware of this for the next generation? Um, I, I beg for help. You know, I try to use my body language and actions because when you're a victim of human trafficking, you're not allowed to have a voice. So uh, the next best thing that I had was body language. I would use scissors to cut my arms. You know, hey, I'm hurting here. Someone help me. Um, And um, I just, I felt like nobody cared. Hmm. So we need to be looking for ways in which children are 
trying to speak out without using words. Yes, um, um, uh, their their behavior. If you notice a change in behavior, if the grades in school start to drop, um, if there's suicidal tendencies, if they're shutting down society and not, you know, doing any extracurricular activities, sports, hanging out with their normal friends, that's a red flag. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in your time within Slavery Tennessee, and as you've kind of taken a step out of what that life looked like for you for so long. What's the number one thing that you think people aren't getting about human trafficking that you that's a misconception or that you think people don't understand? I think people don't don't understand human trafficking at all. I think that they just look at it as you know, there's women out here who sell their body, you know, and there's a big huge difference between human trafficking and prostitution. And that bring that kind of brings to light something you said in the first part was until you got to rehab, you didn't know that there was a name for what had happened to you your whole life. Right. So growing up, I just automatically assumed that I did something wrong, that that was my punishment. And I don't think in the future that I, it's going to be a while before I can ever have a, a real true relationship because even with my husband, I used any type of sexual acts as punishment. It was never a joy. Mm. I think something you also said that hit me was that drugs go hand in hand with adult, what was it the phrase adult that you used? With adult entertainment. Mm-hmm. And how often the few stories we've heard and that, Drugs are used as a way to manipulate into doing sex acts, or it's a way to numb certain sex acts, but they do seem to go hand in hand. Because we don't put up a fight. Mm. So when I lost custody of my daughter and the man pretended to be a preacher and gave this whole spiel, that's that's how he reeled me in because he knew I was I needed help. And um, how the drugs uh, took into place with that one is I would not give him any sexual acts. So you don't put up as much of a fight if you're doped up, you know. And so he would dope me up and then he would take advantage of the situation Mm -hmm. because before when I was sober, you know, I stood my ground. No, 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 no. It's not going to happen. You know, so when when you're when you're on drugs, your your body's numb. You're just you're there, but you can't do nothing about anything. Mm. So now that you've been at In Slavery Tennessee, what do you think is the number one thing you've learned having been here? My whole entire life, I didn't think people understood me. They didn't get it. I thought there was something wrong with me. And um, when I got in slavery, and I had survivor sisters with similarities that filled a void. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because there's so many of us out there, and I don't think people realize that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just think you raise such an important point that the people who exploit can be people we would never expect to be exploiters. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of them are, you know, family members or people that you Mm -hmm. love and trust, and it's just, it's happening right in front of you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it so sad. And I think another thing that's important is that children, 
it doesn't matter whether you did feel pleasure. It doesn't matter what part you had in it. Adults have the responsibility to protect children. Exactly. And so when a child comes to you and tells you that something's going on, I hear this over and over. I tried to get somebody to believe me. I told the story, whether verbally or not verbally, and nobody listened. Yep. Instead, they judged me or they blamed me. Yep. And that's a lesson I would so like our audience to hear. Mm. That and when, 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 they, when they do that, all that makes us want to do is go back and use. And then we're right back in the same situation that we were running from. Sure. Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility as adults to listen to what children are telling us and to see the signs for help. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You talked for a minute about what you're doing now. Would you be interested to share kind of what you're looking forward to in the future? So I'm working on being a certified peer specialist, and I'm trying to reach out and make others aware of human trafficking. You know, because like I, the thing that worked for me is in slavery is my family. And my whole life, that's all I ever wanted. And when you don't have family, you have abandonment issues, which means you look for love in all the wrong places because you're just trying to fill fill that hole. Because people love me, because in slavery loves me, that's really all I needed. That's all I needed. That's what keeps me going. That's what kept me sober because somebody actually does care. I didn't think anybody would ever care. And I think that's very important to have the accountability team, to have somebody, you know, if you're going through something, you can pick up the phone and, you know, hey, I'm hurting. And Mm. um, just the fact that somebody's on the other side listening to you that cares and does not pass judgment, I think it's very important. Mm. And I think it's so big of you to want to be able to be that for other people and to see how much that changed you and how much it can change other people. Pay it forward. Mm. That's like the second time we've heard that today. That's fabulous. Well, thank you so much for being willing to share. This has been really, truly wonderful. Thank Thank you. you. Any other thoughts? Do you want to share anything else? Uh, In slavery rocks. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) In Slavery Tennessee thanks Jones Legacy Group for their continued support an exclusive sponsorship of this first season of Someone Like Me. Executive producer is Derry Smith. Producer and editor is Gregory Byerline. Music by Kurt Goebel. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson. Thank you for listening.